Oh, God. Okay. So, and I have a bone to pick. You have a bone to pick. With people who fly. With people who fly. Yes. Like, like... People who, it, who like superhero characters. Okay, no, no real human beings who fly in airplanes. Yes. Okay. I don't. And understand. this is related to your recent flights in an airplane coming to visit here in New York. I, I assume. I got reminded because I haven't okay. flown in quite some time. Sure. Yeah. So I don't understand how people like. At some point, they bought a plane ticket. They did. And then they went to the airport. And they somehow decided that the airport bathroom is where they're going to do their most heinous acts. (laughs) (laughs) It it doesn't, I don't understand how, well, okay, so men, because I've only been in the men's restroom, like, they, like, save up their worst experiences or the worst things they can do to, to, to leave any sort of evidence, both smell factor mm-hmm. and just appearance for when they get to the restroom. But like, at least they're not doing it on the plane, I guess. At least they're not doing it on the plane, but like do that at home. <laughs> I don't like, it just, it blows my mind because it's like every bathroom and every airport. There's, there's, there, there are messes. Just to turn on the floor somewhere. And these, yeah, and like these, the people that to, flying isn't the cheapest thing. True. So like, they have some. I have, <laughs> I have generally loosely equated having a stable income with some level of like decorum, I guess, okay. or like, like if you're flying. You have, in my head, you have an amount of money that you would know enough about yourself and the world that you shouldn't, you don't need to do that in public. Well, you have, you have, yeah, you have safety and (laughs) security and things that afford you, it's a level of privilege that affords you hygiene and security and so on. Yes, Not living your life in public. Right. Yeah. And, and, and people just destroy the bathrooms public restrooms it's a mixed bag it's it's you never know what you're gonna get it is the okay. box of chocolates of public <laughs> restrooms but in an airport you have to have a plane ticket so like in my head there is a higher bare minimum of standard of person mm-hmm. i guess see here here see here i thought you were gonna talk about the i guess this is like a 20 year old reference at this point so i'm not i'm i'm not exactly being topical but the, remember that story about the republican senator like just extremely anti-gay bigot senator who like there was a whole like toe tapping bathroom code in the minneapolis airport and he got picked up for soliciting prostitution no this was 20 years ago or 20 hours ago? It was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. I don't know this story. I, you know. <laughs> you thought I was going to take it there? That was where my <laughs> mind first went. I don't. <laughs> no. You said most heinous acts. Right. In, in airport <laughs> bathrooms. And my mind immediately went to uh, no. soliciting prostitution. They just destroy bathrooms. Against, you know, the your political agenda and. Yeah. I just say just 
To- toilets and at airports are so unattractive. Mm. They've just been <laughs> mauled by men. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's oh my god, and like it just it like bugs me that people feel like mm. they can just go and destroy public property like that. Mm. Like keep it at home. Okay. Keep it at home. Okay. Destroy your bathroom at home. Because, okay. Because like that's the privacy of your own home. You can do whatever you want. But like there should be there should be standards when you're out in public. <laughs> unless you have the occasional bad day, but you're prop most likely you're not gonna be having that occasional bad day on a day that you're traveling. Because you should think about what you're putting in your pocket. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, well, welcome to Hype is My Superpower, a podcast about <laughs> about bathroom review and outdated political references. I'm Steve Storman. I'm one of your hosts alongside William Freeland, who... Physically alongside. Physically alongside. I mean, I guess we still have to thank the miracles of modern technology for the infrastructure of being able to record podcasts and distribute them to the world in the first place, but... And... We're not relying on it to Relative, talk to each other. Relatively modern technology, less modern technology that got me here. That's true. It was Air, a, airplanes, technological wonders. Yeah, I did. I did not walk here. No, <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> we oh, have done man. a lot of walking this week. We've though. done so much walking. We're going to talk about it. Today. Yeah, we sure are. I'm excited. Me too. Quick, before we get started, uh-huh. shout out to Nipuna. Yeah, Nips. Our editor Nips. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, we did not coordinate saying happy birthday at the exact same time. I would like <laughs> to point that out, and that was amazing. And we are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yep, had a drink in his honor, just like he asked. And yes, we did. Good times. Oh, I guess we should have taken a picture and sent it. To I you. guess we should have. Yeah, You're we're going to have to take a word for it, Nips. Mm-hmm. We did. Yeah, we're kind of trash for that. <laughs> but yeah, we did a lot of walking. We did a, uh, a tour of. Marvel Comics, and MCU, New York City. Yeah. We'll be talking about that on this podcast alongside recapping, talking about our usual whole deal for Reign of X Volumes 9 and 10, continuing our nebulously sized Blank of X series for the Krakoa era X-Men. Yeah, so we're doing, because we're we're recapping the... um the tour. We're only doing two volumes of Rain. Of also because we're behind, like, as far as we being me, because I read quote-unquote current 616, Rain is further behind where where I am in the rest of 616. As evidenced by the last time we did a an X podcast, there was uh, King and Black references. King and Black references in just the Tons. last one, and King and Black, we reviewed on the pod about a few months ago. Yeah, which was 2021's <laughs> crossover event. So we have some X reading to do. Little catching up to do. So mm-hmm. we're we're uh, we're getting it done now. So 
Where do you want to start? We okay, and we also have to end at a certain time, so yes. we can't. We can't. Uh, We're not going to go too crazy. Dilly dally. No, usual. but also uh, without before we get fully into it. Before, um, <laughs> as another preamble to the preamble. <laughs> on the on the quote unquote bright side, I'm not sure if there's a whole hell of a lot to talk about in these two volumes. That's true. There was just as many issues as any other volume, but mm-hmm. it didn't feel substantially substancy. Yeah, we did get two new titles starting. So we'll we'll have to devote some time to giving our initial impressions of those because yeah. starting something generally, you know, more takes more attention than continuing something. Mm-hmm. And one, wondering where it goes. One more thing. Go. Yeah, that's true. One more thing that I wanted to dive into before we do the episode proper. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give a shout out to that movie we saw last night. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, it's a great movie. It was incredible. It was. I I walked into it knew, knowing almost nothing except the bits and pieces you told me, Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, um, Michelle Yeoh, multiverse. Yeah. Stuff. One of the best movies I've ever seen. Like multi generational Chinese American immigrant experience drama, layered with high concept sci-fi conceit and a truly incredible absurdist sense of humor smattered with some Kung Fu action and just stylistic madness all throughout. It all worked. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was, I had seen one trailer and a couple TikToks being like, Oh my gosh, you totally see this movie. So I didn't know a whole lot. I didn't know exactly what to expect. But um, all I knew was it is probably going to be a worthy um, a movie worth seeing. So yeah, we went and watched it, and it was great. It was great, it was an awesome movie. Cool. Without out of the way, one of one of our shortest preambles, honestly. Should we keep it going just to spite <laughs> ourselves? No. <laughs> do you want to do rain first, or do you want to do tour first? I guess maybe tour. Let's do tour. Let's do tour. Yeah. All right. So, the tour started. Tour started as soon as you got off the plane. Yeah, minutes after pickup from the airport, we went to where Twenty Ingram Street in Forest Hills, Queens. Yeah, Twenty Ingram Street, the house that Peter Parker grew up with Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Well, the address where yes. he grew up, the the physical you know footprint and layout of the house. And the neighborhood. And the neighborhood. <laughs> substantially more upscale than Peter is generally shown as having lived in. But yeah, nice. that, was fun. that was a great one to start with. Right. For me. And, and, you know, just on the way from JFK. So worked out well. And, you know, what I really liked about this tour for me, and I, I imagine the, um, the effect might have been greater for you being less familiar with different parts of New York is you get sort of like a context like there's there's a new york language to like what it means to be in, you know to live in forest hills versus greenwich village versus mm. hell's kitchen versus uh harlem like versus the lower east side like all of these things have a neighborhood characteristic and there's a new york language of like showing you who this character is in a different, you know, and and just having that like on the ground, like walking through Spider-Man's neighborhood, it tells part of the story mm-hmm. of the character. 
Yeah, the um, New York. I think it's big cities mm-hmm. have those kinds of like neighborhood distinctive personalities more so than like where I live in Santa Barbara for mm-hmm. sure. Although, if you were to talk about Santa Barbara, like the idea of somebody growing up in like San Roque neighborhood is very different <laughs> from growing up on like the East Side or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our our neighborhoods just aren't as large not as many yeah by the way i made a i made a google map of this this whole thing i will share it in the in the show notes in the episode description in case anybody wants to take a look at what we did the itinerary etc etc but yeah it was um I'll be loading pictures, prob- maybe on our Instagram. I can that start, would be great. I can revive our Instagram, finally. <laughs> um, and I'll put out some pictures on Instagram if you guys want to check it out. Yeah. So that was, you know, just kind of like the preamble to the tour. And then it started in earnest the next day as we walked across the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh-huh. Brooklyn Bridge where, depending on how you argue it, Green Goblin or Spider-Man killed Gwen Stacy. Right, and the bridge where Gwen Stacy died. How about that? They, they did. They did say. I, I believe in the comic, the night Gwen Stacy died, they labeled it as like the Queensboro Bridge or something, mm. or the Williamsburg Bridge. But it is very visually clearly the Brooklyn Bridge, the stone bridge towers, the all the diagonal suspension cables, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, how how's the Brooklyn Bridge for you? It was nice. I really liked it. <laughs> There are vendors along the bridge, as I think most bridges probably have. <laughs> I was tempted a couple of times to, to just pick up some random like $5 shades because I traveled to New York without shades, but I did not. <laughs> uh, but it was cool. It's um, There are some people that just like go there to like post up and just chill. Yeah. Um, Saw like one girl just like. Laying down, vaping, reading a book. Yeah, and I was like, "Man, I could see doing that." Yeah, that's a fun. That like that. If I lived close to the bridge in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the bridge, we got one of the many views that we would have of the Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. site of many things. I guess most recently, Spider Man No Way Home. But I think of the first X Men movie. Mm-hmm where Magneto had the really <laughs> flawless plan of unleashing a giant white bubble that turned everyone in the bubble to mutants, all the humans into mutants. Yeah, I've got to say, I don't I don't remember <laughs> that movie very well, and probably for the best. It seems like there's a real, like, the first Iron Man movie, and maybe you could probably point to, like, the Nolan Batman movies before that, but, like, there was a real change in expectations as to like the presentation of a comic book movie and and what you could expect from you know it it just like are we doing like a cheesy movie for the kids or are we actually making a good faith effort to adapt these stories into a workable movie that's good on its own merits right yeah and i think that x-men was good for its time, but I I would be surprised if it stood up. Moving on with the tour. We got on a ferry. Yeah, so we walked along Broadway past the Charging Bull statue through Wall Street. I'm sure there are Marvel references in there. <laughs> Not <laughs> yeah, keeping quite that up, but we, we made it to the Staten Island Ferry. 
which was, of course, the scene of that set piece action sequence in Spider-Man Homecoming with the vulture cutting it in half. Uh Dude, that fairy is big, by the way. Right? It's huge. Yeah. One of those things you don't really, like, again, context. Yeah. Yeah. I think film theory had a, like, you know, who's the strongest Spider-Man between Tom and Toby and Andrew. Oh, uh uh-huh. This is after Homecoming came out and holding together the Staten Island Ferry (laughs) put Tom above the other two. Interesting. That one feet. Yeah. Something is huge. It's huge. It is gigantic. On the ferry, you could see New Jersey off in the distance. Yeah, Jersey City, home of Kamala Khan. Kamala Khan. Yeah, the current Miss Marvel. Yeah. And the Staten Island Ferry took took us across to, well, Staten Island. Staten Island, also known as Monster Island. Yes, where... Deadpool is currently the king of the monsters in Marvel Comics. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get to see much of Staten Island. We just got right back on the... Yeah. Turned around, got right back on the... <laughs> Went out, put our foot in the ground, said we were here, and turned around and came back. You know, <laughs> right around the ferry, there's just not much to see. Like, if we were driving, mm-hmm. I could show you, like... The world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's just the character of the borough. It's very suburban. It's why calling it Monster Island is so hilarious. After that, we made our way up to the 9-11 memorial. Yeah, that was that was a personal request. Has nothing to do with the Marvel uh, tour. Yeah, I I haven't I can't I've been to New York back in like ninety-three. There were twin towers at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is my first time here since 9-11, so I wanted to check out the memorial. Yeah, and I'm sure the former, you know, the side of the tower is from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies getting cut from the... Uh, <laughs> from the trailer. Yeah. Yep, yep. All of that. And then we uh, we took a jog, actually a little bit by train, up to Greenwich Village to go to 177A Bleecker Street. Yeah. A.K.A. Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah. It's not a Sanctum Sanctorum. <laughs> it's like... It's a tattoo shop? It's right next to a tattoo shop. Yeah. It's literally just a door. I don't know what's behind the door. <laughs> but next, on one side is a, a market, like a little quickie shop, quickie mart. And on the other side is a tattoo shop. Yeah. So, you know, addresses are addresses. <laughs> I mean, again, you... you you know, we passed by a place called Beatnik. It's a very Greenwich Village, very hippie neighborhood. And when you contrast that with the origins of Doctor Strange, the language becomes, yes, we. this is a comic book about, about doing acid. <laughs> Next stop was Washington Square Park, which is <laughs> come up a good amount in my reading as the... Uh, <laughs> What am I doing? <laughs> as, as the uh, the place where X Man, aka Nate Gray, holds up to do his miracles. Yeah. Again, very Greenwich Village, NYU students smoking weed and being hippies and skateboarding and so on. Yeah. Any reflections or or observations from this sort of leg of the tour? Around this time is kind of where I was. Taking in the fact that, you know, a lot of times when I think of New York, it's like tall buildings, everything's squished together, and a lot of mixed 
mixed matched architecture, so on and so forth. But there's a lot of green, at least Mm -hmm. on our tour and the places that we've been, there's a lot of green, a lot of parks, a lot of just like, Hey, make sure that there's some amount of fresh air, like compared to like Los Mm -hmm. Angeles, that's my like frame of reference for big city. You might see a tree (laughs) trying to survive in Los Angeles, but like in New York, like, there's just there's parks everywhere and people are just hanging out in the parks and it's awesome to see yeah it turns out in places where you know there's water falling from the sky like actual <laughs> precipitation like plants actually want to live there it's it's bizarre it's very it's weird. wild <laughs> but also yeah nobody has yards so we all have to go to parks to survive uh-huh. next stop was the strand bookstore which measures the number uh, the the amount of books in the store by miles <laughs> yeah it's a giant bookstore it was, i think it's three stories right yep and, uh, plus the basement we didn't <laughs> yeah so it's, yeah it's two it's two stories up well, plus they have a basement uh, there is also a third story but that's just for events and stuff right yeah and giant 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 bookstore if, you, if you're a bibliophile to any degree yeah um, definitely stop by strand bookstore yeah I, this is where i got all of my purchases for my wife out of the way <laughs> she loves books as much as i love comics and so i got her a shirt and a tote bag from there and we also bought some material we Fu- did future material for the pod yeah We'll be reading at some point when we have a slow week or want to record a bonus episode or something. We'll, we bought X-Men Grand Designs by Ed Pickscore, Volume 1. And I think that'll be a good way to sort of, like we did with the Mark Wade's history of the Marvel Universe, just do like a review podcast. Mm-hmm. And then right next to that was the Forbidden Planet comic shop. I do not have anything for that. <laughs> my next, my next. So... Steve is looking at his map while I'm looking at the pictures I took of the maps <laughs> of the places we went to, and I did not take pictures at the comic book shop. Yeah, lots was, of stuff there. I was busy buying things. <laughs> <laughs> Our next leg brought us through the Flatiron District, so saw the Flatiron building and went to the Flatiron Lego store. Yeah. I... I there's more than one Lego store on this tour, and so I <laughs> I did not purchase anything at this one. Yeah, you're in direct comparison. This one is much smaller than the other one uh, that we went to. They had this really cool augmented reality camera display That's where right. you can take a Lego set and stand in front of the camera, and it will project the Lego set on the box on the uh, TV screen, so you can see what the like set looks like. It looks like two scale, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And then we went to the Empire State Building. We did. Went inside, took a few photos. Of course, Empire State Building is on the Marvel tour because Marvel had their offices there for a long time. We didn't go up to the top, but, you know, it's cool. It's cool also vision. like $40 just to go to the top. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced it's worth $40 or $80 for both of us to go to the top of the Empire State Building. Yeah. And then we went to the location of the Daily Bugle headquarters on 39th Street and 2nd Avenue. Yeah. So (laughs) I have two pictures from this corner because there isn't really specifically a building that's like a newspaper building or anything. And that's the way for a lot of these, right? They gave an an address that it doesn't 
that it's a real life address, but it doesn't map onto a real life building. Right. <laughs> it, but it gives again, it gives you a sense of the the type of place that this is set in. It has a uh, and you know the other thing is some of this changes over the course of history, right? Like yeah. Later in the tour, not to give spoilers or anything, but we went to a, a statue of Captain America in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. And you could very easily see that being like a working class, like Irish, Irish American neighborhood in, you know, the 19 teens when Steve Rogers is growing up or 1920s. And today it is, you know, the largest Mexican neighborhood in New York City. <laughs> but it, I don't know. I just, I love history and changes like that are really, really cool. So I just I took two pictures of two of the potential skyscrapers that would be the Daily Bugle if it were to be a Daily Bugle news mogul <laughs> in, uh, in comics today. Yeah. The next stop was East 42nd Street and Madison Avenue. Uh, well, actually, the next stop was in front of Grand Central Station and the area around the MetLife building which was the location of the Battle of New York in the first Avengers movie. Yeah. Yeah, so like that like bridge that uh, everyone sta- is standing on when they do the like epic rotate stand together backs together scene that's here. <laughs> yeah. And then right next to there is the location of the Baxter building, East 42nd Street and Madison Avenue. And that was cool. It's it's a tall building in real life too. <laughs> yeah, it's a tall glass building with a lot of windows. Of course, the Baxter Building is the headquarters of the Fantastic Four. And then we went along to Rockefeller Center, and we were going to the the Lego store in Rockefeller Center, but it was closed, so we had some dinner. Went back home, started up the tour the next day. There are, so for my references, if you guys have played the Spider-Man game on PlayStation 4, I mean, I've, I've heard that the re- recreation of New York City is pretty spot on throughout the game, but by Rockefeller Center, there's this white twin steeple church that if you play Spider-Man you know, because it gets in the way because you can't web swing when <laughs> when it's the only thing on the block <laughs> and you're trying to web swing in the air and you have to like go down further because the church is there. And then also like Rockefeller Plaza Center areas, the place where the season finale for Hawkeye took place. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so many accidental spots. I'm going to have to add them to the map. before i publish this out so yeah we started up the next day took the train straight to times square times square of course is the location of the big fight between hulk and abomination Mm -hmm. it's also an iconic scene in amazing spider-man 2 yes and then we kind of move we went to midtown comics in times square another gigantic comic shop with a truly terrifying number of Gunpla models for Will to, oh, yeah. to get physically and, and uh, emotionally destroyed by. And then we made it back to the Lego store that was closed before. And we this had, Lego store was wild. We ended up with some real finds there. Mm-hmm. So this Lego store was two stories. 
in all the Lego stores you go to, there's going to be like Lego builds of just things. In the stores here, they do Lego recreations of the block that the Lego store is on. So that's really cool. That was cool. Um, Including, you know, a Lego Lego store. Uh huh. <laughs> this one in Times Square had all of the major buildings of of New York. So it had like a um, Empire State Building. It had a One Freedom what is it? World Trade Center. Yeah, one, one One World Trade Center. Yeah. Also on the second floor, you can build your own minifigure and customize the torso. With stickers or colors, but also you could draw a design on the chest and on the back. So uh, Steve and I made our own personal minifigs. Yeah, that was really cool. From there, we went up to the base of Central Park in Columbus Circle on uh, 59th Street and 8th Avenue. And at the south end of Columbus Circle is the Stark Tower slash Avengers Tower from the comics, specifically used during the uh, Civil War era. So that was cool. From there, we wandered through Central Park, made it to the the Central Park merry-go-round carousel, which is the location where Frank Castle punishes family was murdered. Uh-huh. So a little bit of a darker note, but hey, it's part of the tour. <laughs> <laughs> Walked across the park, and on the other side is 845th Avenue, which is uh, the address of the Hellfire Club. <laughs> In real life, it's a Jewish synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then just a few blocks down the street from the Hellfire Club is Avengers Mansion, uh, a.k.a. uh, 895th Avenue, real-life home to the Frick Collection Museum. (laughs) (laughs) But share some visual elements with the Avengers Mansion in the comics, which is pretty cool. And it's, it's really saying something that, you know, these places are right on the edge of Central Park. Like, that's some prime real estate. For both the Avengers and the Hellfire Club. Which is hilarious thinking about the location of the Hellfire Club and the Avengers Mansion and thinking and remembering that there was a period of time where the X the Xavier School was in Central Park. Oh yeah. For a couple of our years. <laughs> and they 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 just decided to be right next to freaking <laughs> the Hellfire Club, because why not? Well, I guess the Hellfire Club wasn't operating out of that mansion anymore at that point, but still. Mm-hmm. We wandered back across, after that we wandered back across the park, chilled out for a while in the park, made our way over to Hell's Kitchen for dinner, stopped at a spot called Hellcat Annie's, <laughs> yep. which, uh, you know, Patsy Walker is a, uh, Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, is a character in the MCU, or, or the, the Netflix, you know, Jessica Jones series, and that takes place in Hell's Kitchen. So seemed like the most, yeah. you know, Marvel themed dinner we could have. <laughs> it. We also took pictures of every damn church. <laughs> Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> Just like, give. Like maybe this is Daredevil spot. Oh, maybe this is Mur- <laughs> Murdoch spot. But yeah, Hell's Kitchen, as we've discussed with the uh, superhero ethics folks, really not the uh, the type of neighborhood it is, uh, that it's depicted as. In the comics, mm-hmm. which is fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least it's not it's not that anymore. But yeah, we went to a play there, et cetera, et cetera, and 
that was really it for the, much it. the Marvel tour so far. We we've got a couple stops. We like I said, we went to Sunset Park to see the statue of Captain America, and we might still make a couple stops. One to the Lower East Side. This one's kind of important to me. If you're familiar with Yancey Street and the Yancey Street gang in the comics, well, that's widely assumed to be a reference to the real-life street, Delancey Street, which is um, a street in the Lower East Side, which was a very, you know, working-class Jewish neighborhood back in the day in the 30s, and it's where Jack Kirby lived for quite a good amount of his life, including, I believe his first, you know, early days as a comics creator when he came, when he created Captain America and so on. Mm -hmm. You know, these days, Marvel tends to treat the thing as pretty close to a one-to-one author insert for Jack Kirby, which I really appreciate. Yeah. So I would like to spend some time walking around there. I mean, obviously the character has changed a lot over the decades. Right. But maybe if we make our way to the Tenement Museum, we'll see some of that which is on Delancey Street, we'll see some of that historical character. The other spot that we might get to tomorrow before the tour is over is uh, up in Westchester County in Salem, the town of Salem, a center. And it is the address 1407 Gray Malkin Lane, which is the uh, the address of the X Mansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that'll be... I hope we can get to that one. I hope so. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. So that's the Marvel tour. That is the Marvel tour. Any uh, any other larger takeaways? It's f- kind of funny, because, like, you know, we as humans don't have visual overlays. It, like, implants it in our eyes or anything. So, like, going to these places and knowing what they are, mm. but knowing that... The greater world doesn't care. Yeah, what we're our taking references. pictures of these random, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> houses and and addresses and signs and so on. And yeah, so like some of the like awe is taken away because it's just like, this is the address. Mm-hmm. All right, like I think I think we're we're that, not going to see like the iconic circle window yeah. in one seven seven eight. Yeah, Bleaker that one. Yeah, Bleecker Street was definitely probably like the biggest, like. Oh yeah, this is real life. <laughs> no, and like, and that's it's not the worst thing in the world, but it is just kind of one of those things. Where it's like this was really fun, but like, yeah, it, it's not without having like maybe like a slideshow or something or PDF that like has the like this is what would be here if we were in 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 comic New York or something. I don't know. There were, there's a couple pieces. I was just like, well, I took the picture. Okay. <laughs> if there was, you know, if there was like a, um, if I wanted to like really develop this out or like, you know, do this tour professionally or something, I, yeah. would, I would source the like panels from mm-hmm. the comics that have like angles that you could replicate photographs from. And right. then you could put the, uh, the real life location Photographs side by side with the the comic panel. Yeah, and then how you were you'd mentioned. I don't know if it was on the pod itself, but like this hasn't this doesn't exist. Yeah, nobody does this. No one's done this before. I I had to. I had to kind of pull. I mean, no one's published this. No one's published this before. I 
I mean, all of these like sites are, you know, these addresses are feel freely available on yeah. the internet. I pull them down like that, but I, I haven't seen like a, a a guided walking tour or anything resembling this that I could, you know, that existed before. I kind of had to make the itinerary myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, it was cool. The amount of effort is is clear. <laughs> I appreciated it. Yeah, it was. I, it, I, I thought I thought it was just a really cool way to see the city. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Let's do um, some Reign of X Volume 9. Reign of X Volume 9. So this starts with Hellions. Starts with Hellions. And if you remember from our previous Reign of X episodes, Hellions, what, Arcade kidnapped Mastermind's daughter, one of the ladies' mastermind. We're guessing Reagan. She's in she's in Reagan's outfit. Yeah. But Reagan historically has been a blonde. Right. And this girl is raven haired. Right. And Martinique is the other daughter. I think she's a redhead, so who knows? <laughs> okay. Um so yeah, one of the one of Mastermind's daughters is kidnapped. And Arcade is using that as leverage over mastermind to kidnap sinister to build him a clone farm and sinister it's revealed in this issue that sinister this is all part of sinister's plan because he wants a clone farm (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah because i mean sinister is going to sinister right right (laughs) yeah that i mean so that's the plot yeah we get most of so most of the issue is all the marauders or sorry all the hellions (laughs) in their mastermindscapes trying to escape yeah and specifically centered around this continuingly developing romance between quanin and john gray crow yeah which god (laughs) these are such like zest Characters. X-Men characters yeah. generally, but they've done such a good job developing them out and making you care about both of these characters. I mean, I've always been up well, ever since they started kind of rescuing, rehabilitating John Gray Crow in the Utopia era, I've always been very interested in him. And the fact that he's one of the central characters in this in this series is just very cool and i really like what they're doing here and bringing quanin along the way that uh, as we mentioned in in excalibur when talking about that like they're really going doing a lot with quanin yeah i hope she sticks around yeah me too so one thing that stood out to me was that arcade is a confirmed murderer Mm. yes he's killed his parents he's killed his family Mm-hmm. And Miss Locke. <laughs> he did kill Miss Locke, that's right. These weren't people he was hired to kill, though. Okay. Sure. <laughs> he still never succeeded at his job. <laughs> he was just killed otherwise. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's got a 0% success rate on screen. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, maybe maybe quantum physics <laughs> when wow. he's being observed on paper wow he's doomed to fail but schrodinger's murderer yeah but like <laughs> every other job he's had yeah he successfully murdered people okay okay 
and maybe his kill rate is actually like 90% and not zero. Okay. A couple notes I have here for this issue. One, I've talked a lot about the art in Reign of X, but I haven't talked about the art in Hellions yet. This artist, I think it's Stefano Caselli, he does faces extremely well. Uh, oh, sorry, it's Steven Segovia. My bad. Just yeah, he does. The just captures like nuance of emotion and and also just all the comedic beats exhibited really well through like Hellions or, or sorry through um, Empath is is kind of one of the the main ones but like Sinister also obviously just prime comedic material and so much of it is in the register of his face and it's really well done mm-hmm. which is wild because. We, this is the team with Nanny and Orphan Maker. Right. Both have masks. Right. <laughs> Perpetual helmet masks. So, And then the other thing is just Sinister had a bunch of teeth. Uh, Arcade pulled a bunch of Sinister's teeth in the, in the last uh, issue to torture him for the sake of compliance. And he goes through this whole issue speaking with, you know, missing teeth. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I called it teeth speak in my notes, and um, <laughs> it was continuously hilarious. So yeah, as I mentioned in the recap, Mastermind betrays Arcade, as I guess could be expected, and it's all part of Sinister's plan to build a clone farm, clone farm outside Krakoa, because all that motherfucker wants to do is clone uh-huh. and play with DNA as a child plays with building blocks. <laughs> I think that I think it was a flashback conversation in this issue versus a previous issue, but um, Sinister gave Mastermind crap for his wardrobe choice because <laughs> Mastermind, if you guys don't know, he's just in a giant brown sack with yeah. with a collar. Yeah, just like a. It's real boring. <laughs> it's real boring, and I'm actually surprised it hasn't changed. I know, like right? he was introduced. Decades ago, and he was introduced in the '60s. He was part of the original Brotherhood. Yeah, and in the original Brotherhood, Toad looked very much like a Toad, and his costume reflected as such. Mastermind was in a robe. It was—it's basically like a priest robe with a giant brown collar. Mystique, I guess, has always been Mystique. Well, Mystique wasn't. In she was not in the yeah. original Brotherhood. Uh, Blob was yep. a giant, giant unitard, and like. It it was their it was, their it costumes was, were very the product of the sixties. It was very much it, it was circus like. Yeah, you know? uh, Toad kind of looked like a yeah. like a circus freak. Yeah, and, you know, Blob and Unis kind of both had like the the strong man like the circus strong man kind of mm-hmm. unitard vibes, which was a big influence in early superhero costumes in general. But anyway, <laughs> right? But so like here we are, sixty years later, Mastermind hasn't changed his facial hair he hasn't changed his hair he hasn't changed his outfit he's in his defense he did go off two two things yeah he's been dead for a long time that's one he died of the legacy virus in the 90s and i think they only just brought him back in krakoa oh i'm not totally sure about that but i think so okay second he has been depicted in the past of giving himself illusionary glow-ups for the whole Dark Phoenix saga, because he was the one who, you know, introduced Phoenix Gene to corruption and all of that. And it was sort of his imaginary world that 
had her go over to the dark side, he made himself look very dashing. Oh. Yeah. Oh, good for him. Kind of seduced her. Got it. Yep. I was not there for that. I did not (laughs) read that. Next, we have two issues of Wolverine. Yeah, I didn't have much to say here. There's not much to to talk about. He's, so, he's just going around killing vampires. It, yeah, it's 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 James Howlett Vampire Hunter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see. So mm, things we could take away. Wolverine's going around. So basically, last issue or last session, Wolverine's blood was stolen by Dracula to prove that his blood could let vampires be in the sunlight yep but it has diminishing returns or it has it's not permanent so they need to capture wolverine so they can steal his blood let him re, re, uh, regenerate and they then steal more blood like a scientist working for him who like wants to study his marrow and find a way to use the self yeah, see, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. see if they can see if they can make it on their own yeah it's an artificial wolverine's blood yep um and so we get a handful of scenes of Wolverine going around taking out vampire blood farms. Yeah. <laughs> Just all throughout the Midwest. Yeah. Sure. There's also, we have Omega Red is working for Dracula. Dracula has a carbonadium synthesizer that he lets Omega Red use as long as he uh, works for him. So it's kind of like the same plot of like we Omega Red needs the Carbonadian synthesizer just like the the vampires need blood. It's, yeah, it's, it's the exact same thing in reverse. And there's a real like double agent whose side is Omega Red really on. He's mm-hmm. being spied on by both sides and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Omega Red is a mutant, yep. so he is welcome on Krakoa. Mm-hmm. And I, I I guess I will say there does seem to be a like a tiredness mm-hmm. in Omega Red. Yeah. I think he just wants to just be. Yeah. Uh, and he's just being manipulated by both Dracula and X-Force. Yeah. And so like, I wouldn't mind seeing a retired Omega Red on Krakoa. Yeah. Just being. If like, if they, can, <laughs> if, 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 uh, if Krakoa can figure out how to, you know, sate the, the vampiric needs for Celine and Krakoa itself, Maybe they could figure something out for for Omega Red, and he would get to chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, so we do get introduced to this plot slash concept of how to use Krakoa's regeneration to your benefit. Mm. And what I mean by that is, we do know that memories are given as ordered basically mm. with the resurrection protocols. And so what they what they did is Wolverine went to Beast. Beast put a tracking device, an untrackable tracking device <laughs> or untraceable tracking device in the carbonadium synthesizer. They kill Omega Red to not let him backups basically in between backups uh, of like mutant mental backups. They kill Omega red or let him die. I should say and revive him without the memory of knowing that he is being used by X force to keep tabs on the vampires. (sighs) (laughs) Um, I will also point out that I guess this hasn't happened yet. Ugh. 
or this this is happening before, but at the end of Avengers: Age of Khonshu, mm. Blade is the like UN representative policeman in Chernobyl for Dracula. Right. Okay. Because where where I was going to go with that is they could just reach out to Blade and be like, "Hey, let us know." <laughs> but, but no, it's there our own double agent in there. Anyway, sure. so they're using. They're using Omega Red to figure out where Dracula is, and Omega doesn't know that he's doing that. There's also a plot going on with this sort of priest vampire hunter woman named Louise, who Wolverine's also trying to hook up with, it seems. Yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah, and oh, it turns out she's a vampire, but she hasn't turned all the way. He lets her, you know, drink his blood to, you know, keep the turning at bay, et cetera, et cetera. Boilerplate stuff, really. Yeah, it's it's not it's not great. It's not a great story. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed because I I typically really like the Wolverine solo titles, mm. and I'm just not feeling them. Yeah, one. I'm not feeling this one either. Next, oh. X Force fa- hatches a plot to yeah. to basically clone Wolverine and introduce a sort of like pathogen in his blood or. Some sort of thing so that they, so the the vampire nations after Wolverine, right? So they basically like have Omega Red deliver a faulty Wolverine clone to act as a dirty bomb, which is okay. Yeah. So using Krakoa tech, they have the five create a husk of Wolverine mm-hmm. that under the resurrection protocols normally would be mentally implanted with his backup, but they don't do that part. And then the blood is, and I'm quoting Hank here, who I don't like beast anymore, but um, (laughs) he says it's blood is thick with photonic cells derived from plankton that produce their own luminescence to put it in cruder terms. We made you quote unquote into a dirty bomb. So the, the, the blood has sunlight in it. Yeah. Which, destroys the vampires ha 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 yeah so dracula thinking they have this broken borderline dead wolverine they pump all the blood out of wolverine put it into these little these discs of blood all the chosen vampires get given these discs of blood and then something goes wrong they say it burns and they start literally just burning their blood starts to burn cool oh but i mean this is cool so yeah. That that while that is happening, Logan takes Louise, who is turning into a vampire, to Seveleth. Uh Sevelith, which is one of the realms of Otherworld, which we talked about in Ten of Swords. Yeah. And Sevelith is the vampire nation of Otherworld, where their perspective on vampirism is it's just a way of life. It's not a curse. It's not it's not some bloodthirsty ritual thing. It's it's not a monster thing. It's literally just we're here, we're hanging out, we have order, we do not sow chaos. Right. And also they it's a much more gen I don't know if genetically is the right word, but it's a much more like diverse world of vampires. Whereas on Earth, There's all vampires are yeah, and they're basically all descended from Dracula as the first vampire, uh, you know, in order of like 
who turned all of the vampires, you know, going down the line of Dracula, they all descend from his original turning. They see it as like a, an evolutionary, like an inbred population. And they're like, this is kind of gross. And we, you know, politically, morally, this backwater population on earth is not representative of vampires and we don't like it. And then up pops one of the Iraqi horsemen, one of Apocalypse's children. Yeah, Def. Yeah, the guy with the Anubis head. Mm-hmm. I think his name is, I, I want to say his name is Anubis, but I could be wrong. I don't think it is, uh, but yeah. it's That's really fascinating. Yeah, so he, he lost his fight to Storm, and then at the end of Ten of Swords, he decided he wanted to stay in Sevalith, so... It's kind of cool we got to see him again. Yeah, I'm, I was wondering kind of like, because Ten of Swords introduced so many Iraqi characters. Uh-huh. And so far, the only one who's really had a story role since Ten of Swords is Doug's wife, Bay. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's kind of an open question. What are they going to do with all these characters? Are they going to pop up going forward, et cetera, et cetera? So. Yeah. Yeah. The the less one-off characters they have, the the more I will like Ten of Swords. <laughs> <laughs> Next after that is one issue of New Mutants. Yeah. Um, focusing on the two storylines that we've been doing, uh, one of which being Karma, Sean McCoy, her twin brother is she absorbed his essence or mm-hmm. psyche when they were children. Yeah, in their their first comic uh, appearance in um, Marvel graphic novel number whatever, or maybe no, might have been a Fantastic Four annual, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Sean, yeah, her twin brother Tran has the same powers as her, and in order to win the fight she had to psychically absorb him basically because uh-huh. he was using them for evil so it is by a bunch of psychics it has been decided that or determined that they are completely entwined together inside shan's mind and the only way that they'd be able to separate the two of them is probably through death and resurrection and Krakow and resurrection so yeah they've no psychics have ever been able to untangle the two as individual people but you know through death they could if karma died they could resurrect shan and tran as two different people mm-hmm. with different bodies so that's what they're working on mm-hmm. and so shan yeah asked Danny to fight her in the crucible for this exact reason. And off they go. And it's an incredible scene. It's just this, this issue. I mean, it's been building for a while, but I'm really falling in love with this new mutants title. Mm-hmm. The, this storyline is just so heartfelt. And the, this, the relationship between Shan and Danny is so intense and so strong. And, so nuanced, and I just love the, the the places they push each other to, and you know the the love and affection that is bound up in this fight scene. Yeah. So we'll talk about the other storyline going on in a second. Shan does lose or die; is she is killed by Danny? 
And she gets resurrected. She doesn't get her leg back. That's what I was going to say. Right? I don't understand, like, why did she decide that when she gets resurrected... She keeps the metal leg that she she lost her leg in Second Coming. And they're just going to not bring her back with... Why did she just, like... And that's, that's... But that's got to be a resurrection choice. Like, that's right. on her resurrection profile. Right. If and when I die, don't restore my leg. That's really strange. That didn't make sense to me. Yeah. I thought that was odd. That was odd. But it ends with her resurrection. We don't actually see if Tran got resurrected. We don't. But we can assume, I think. I don't know. It doesn't, like, his name doesn't even get brought up. It's true. The entire scene is focused on the whole, you know, resurrection thing. And, like, welcoming our sister. Yeah. Karma. And, I don't know. We'll see, I guess. We'll see. Next, yeah. next issue, maybe we'll find out. The other... Sorry, one more note on Sean mm. and Danny. Are they a couple? They seem like it, but... Sean is confirmed to be gay. Okay. Yeah, that's been a part of her character for... It was hinted at in the late 90s, actually, in a issue that I recently read for the pod. You know, she showed up, showed up with purple hair, buzzed short, and made a reference. Like, wait, has everybody dated Sam? Oh, he's definitely not my type. <laughs> um, so that was like the first inkling of, you know, like hint towards it. And But it's been fully developed into her character since then. But Danny, I don't think, has ever been portrayed as queer before. But there's another, in a later issue, some couple is talking about like, going out together with Sean and Danny. They don't specifically call it a double date, mm. but it it's kind of portrayed that way. So mm-hmm. it raised questions in me. I think I, I haven't seen the movie, but I think Danny was also was in a relationship with Rain in the New Mutants movie mm. or something. Or they... Oh, yeah, that... They had a kiss or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that made... I remember, I remember the internet crying about that. Mm. Like, why make characters gay when they weren't in the comics mm. just to, just to like, check a box, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I can't confirm. I really don't remember most of that movie. I, I need to watch it. I, it's, I don't expect anything, but, you know, just to, just to say I did. Yeah. Honestly, be, pre-Krakoa, choosing... Anya Taylor-Joy for Magic was a great choice. Yeah. It's a great casting choice. That is, yeah. But Krakoa... Also, Maisie Williams as as Rain. That worked out. Yeah. For sure. I'd, I'd, it, on its face, sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. And, and that kid from Stranger Things, who's mm-hmm. the big brother mm-hmm. uh, to play uh, Sam, was mm. awesome. The casting overall was just really well done. It yeah. just was not a good movie. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of the mutant story. Right. <laughs> Development hell also <laughs> that that movie oh, experienced. Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the other story that's going on within New Mutants is... Oh, my God, hitting me right in the feels. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the New Mutants who are following Shadow King and practicing with body swapping and... Yeah, the, the young kids. You know, Rainboy, No Girl, Anoli, Kozmar... Etc. And then Scout, 
Gabby Kinney was hanging out with them for a while and she was having a bad feeling. And so she, we delve into her storyline deeper in this issue. And she goes to uh, Warpath, James Proudstar, who doesn't like to use the name Warpath anymore. Uh-huh. They have just such a like beautiful conversation where Gabby is like, I know what it's like to be used by people. I see my friends going down this path. I just want to warn them, you know, like I, I, I have a bad feeling about this and I don't want bad things to happen to them, but I don't want to be like in the way I don't, I don't want what, like, I'm afraid I'm not going to be taken seriously. I'm afraid that, you know, all this stuff, it's just, yeah. So all that is going on. And Warpath, as we've kind of, he hasn't had screen time in the comic lately, but he had that psych evaluate, or, you know, mm, like that self eval, that self eval, the answering all those questions. And so we've gotten a really good sense of his just like empathic or, or like depth of character and thoughtfulness. And so he has this really great mentorship conversation with Gabby and kind of says like, listen, I, I trust you to do the right thing. And, and uh, as long as you, you know, bring it up as like, you've got this, <laughs> but if you need help, I'll be here, you know? So she, so Gabby goes ahead and confronts her friends and they're saying like, listen, your powers are you, being a mutant. Doesn't like alienate you from your body the way it does for us. Like they all like <laughs> rainbow's like, I would like to be solid. No girl would like to have a body period. And Kozmar has just been like, so deformed by this mutation and feels like unrecognizable in her skin. They just all want to like be able to experience something different or, or have, you know, everyone treats them on Krakoa. Like this is some special thing and that they need to like maximize being a mutant. But like there are real downsides to this Uh and experiencing something different is like, you know, different bodies and so on is like very liberating feeling. It's a, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, it's like a, I don't want to say child's take, but like it's a younger take on the Morlocks. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like a teenager's take. Exactly. On the and it's, but it's, it's a, it's a conflict that like everyone here is right, but it leads them to so much hurt, uh-huh. you know? And the reality of it is Shadow King probably is being manipulative and this is a very scary situation and the, but it's preying on like real needs of real people and children, teenagers who are not being fully well served within Krakoa, despite, you know, the, the mentors being actually pretty great, (laughs) you know, but there's just not enough attention on them in total. And uh, so they're kind of like wandering off into some scary places and it ends with this confrontation between Gabby and Amal Farouk, who they refer to as the Shadow King, even though I don't think the multiversal Shadow King is possessing him at this time. Yeah. It makes me nervous that we're starting to tell the story of how Gabby dies. Yes, because we've already made a point and she reminds people of it. Like she's a clone. She probably won't be, uh, She's not eligible for, for for resurrection. resurrection. Yep. 
It's like, oh, man. And, I and really like Gabby. I really like Gabby, too. She's and she, so much fun. She's, she, and especially in this storyline, like, she's written with so much depth for, for a child and just, like, so much strength. Vita Ayala is a hell of a writer. Like, mm-hmm. they're pulling together something really, really, really fantastic in, in these pages. And I'm, I'm all the way here for, for this. Absolutely. Next one, Sword. Sword yes. issue number five, which yep. means we're getting closer to the sword issue that I know something happens in and oh. all this other kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so sword five, I think this focuses primarily on, um, oh no, on Cortez and Snark War. This was also, yeah. This was super interesting. Okay, so the Snark War, the king yeah. of yeah. the Xenerx Empire was killed in... Yeah, you talk about snark work because I want to talk about Cortez. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so the king, the king was killed in Guardians of the Galaxy, and in his death, Snark War, which is a f- battle between his five children, was enacted in order to determine who would be the new king, the, the new, the new yeah. emperor. The Xenerx being a you know large intergalactic lizard people lizard people with a large empire an alien blah, yeah blah, blah. so the Zin- the zinerx empire is for anyone that may have frames of references not the same size as the shiar because they are insanely large yeah shiar is kind of the biggest but but they're they are multi-galaxy they're for sure. large player you know like like Not, they, they they have face to face conversations with like the Kree Supreme Intelligence, yeah, and they have they have a seat at the Galactic Council. Like they're 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 a big player. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just not on. They don't get a whole lot of screen time because they're kind of they're honestly they're kind of one dimensional. Mm-hmm. They're just a warlike race of lizard people. Also, they were first introduced in power pack so not never never really given <laughs> yeah. the same heft as like the kree or the scroll the kree the regellians yeah the, the badoon the badoon the chitari these days like yeah. there, there there are other more iconic names to to play than the xenerx empire but they're part of the the constellation yes of marvel alien races yeah so we this issue kind of shows the Sword manipulation and resolution of the Xenerx War, or the yeah, the Snark War. The breath, the the siblings are getting picked off one by one, and we have basically the chosen sibling who now owes Sword a favor. Yes, and this weird text box starts popping up again. We, oh, we yeah. mentioned this in the 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 last Reign of X podcast, but there is an off-panel character who has this all-black text box, or you know, black background text box with yellow text, very distinctive. Yeah, and they finally reveal who it is eventually. Yeah, this person who is also an Arakan. Their name is Cora K H O R A of the Burning Heart. They are. Very impressive. So we finally get the unredacted version of some... We we had this redacted report before about Cortez. And, you know, this guy's a 
slimeball, and everyone hates him, but his powers are necessary right now. You know, it went through all the potential replacements and why they weren't quite right. You know, this person can boost powers, but only one at a time. This person, you know, so and so on. Mr. M, he's not available. What whereabouts unknown. And then there was the last one who was fully redacted. Uh, and it said primary, primary loyalty is most likely to redacted and everything else redacted. And then we get the unredacted version and it is Cora. It says, primary loyalty is most likely to Arako. That said, she fits all other criteria with the added bonus that her skill set as an assassin will assist us in ending the current snark war by taking out all heirs to the throne, bar our chosen candidate. Which is exactly what she does. Aided by Amelia Vote, missed teleporter, former acolyte, former paramour of Xavier. <laughs> yeah, so... Korra's power, basically. She has a flame inside of her body. So if you guys know what Chamber looks like, <laughs> Chamber's power has blown out his like lower half of his face and just has like light shining out of his chest and, and, and bottom half of his head. And it turns out that there is no inside to Chamber. He is literally just the energy and then some skin around it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Korra has the same thing, but as her torso. Uh, but you can also see that she has a skeleton. So her torso is just this burning heart, and she uses that to make herself stronger and faster and deadlier and yada, yada, yada. And she can share that fire with others to empower them. <laughs> it is not an ability she uses much in Arako because Arako is primarily survival of the fittest. So it's very solitary-based, but... Yeah, the Iraqi as, would see it to accept this gift as a sign of weakness. Yeah, but as a role of power booster that Cortez is, was, Cora is a great candidate for replacement. And most <laughs> most crucially, she is not Fabian Cortez. Um, <laughs> and so the the second plot that's going through this issue is... Fabian Cortez post resurrection has, or pre you know, pre death, requested of Magneto an audience with the Quiet Council, and you know he was the former acolyte of Magneto. Of course, he did kill Magneto once, but or not quite kill, but you know everyone assumed Magneto was dead. Blah 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 blah. Not exactly the point, but longtime acolyte. And very known for being extremely prejudiced against humans, or his he calls them the flat scans. And this is exactly what he wants to request audience with the council about. And so one of the reasons that they are wary of giving Cortez any sort of seat of prominence within Krakoa is because there are they're worried about his bigotry kind of like influencing the council. And so when it's Magneto who he, you know, first gets the ear of to request the audience, we're kind of led to like, uh-oh, here is, you know, the beginnings of this conflict. So he's resurrected, you know, he dies in the King of Black storyline defending Krakoa. He's resurrected. They don't bother cleaning him, <laughs> hosing him off as, after the resurrection. They don't bother giving him clothes. So he's bare naked in front of the governing body of the island, covered in resurrection yoke, gross as hell. And he has to make his case for why murder of humans 
should not be such a capital crime. And he raises an interesting metaphysical argument yeah. of like, we have conquered death. And so we are essentially immortal and the humans are not. So when a human kill or when a mutant kills a human, we're not, they're already dead. They don't have lives like we do that will go on forever. They were dead. Any, they were already dead. We're not, you know, we're not really changing much here. And it's, you know, a reasonable, logical argument on its face. How can it be murder if they're already dead? Yes. The wild card is that Magneto invited fucking Peeper <laughs> to, to sit in on the, uh, on, on the audience. And Peeper kills it. He, you know, Cortez goes through his whole argument and he says, well, nothing to say. And Peeper, Peeper asks Cortez, what's your mutant name? He's like, I'm Peeper, Mags is Magneto, Marv is Mentalo, mutant names. What's yours? And Cortez refuses to go by anything other than Cortez. And you learn it's because he feels the right to the name Cortez in a way that his human family, he feels, does not. He was Because he was human, he was denied. He, he's confirmed here to be a descendant of the explorer Cortez and, you know, nobility, ancient nobility, just extremely wealthy and powerful family. He was, because he and his sister were mutants, they were shunted off with barely six figures in a property in Florida. <laughs> and he feels all of this rage that he's being denied this rightful inheritance. And, and this is fueling his bigotry against humans. And, you know, he, is, he, he finally gets the whole thing off of his chest. And Peepers just says, yeah, I figure it was such. <laughs> Incredible. Freaking Peepers. So cool. Came out of nowhere. Absolutely out of nowhere. But another breakout star, you know, not even Z-list character. I didn't even know who he was be yeah. before he was, <laughs> he, he, you know, a deep cut character. Uh -huh. Brought back for Krakoa. Magneto loves him. <laughs> Yeah. And he just looks like a, a weird dude, a bug-eyed accountant. But he asks the most salient question of the entire thing and turns this bigoted argument completely on its head and exposes Cortez for the spoiled rich kid that he is. And so it, it all just, all of a sudden he is naked and spouting nonsense and covered in yoke in front of all these powerful people. And he looks the fool that he is. It was beautiful. Beautiful scene. Loved it. Yeah. And basically, so Magneto, as one with a very long history of actual murder. Both kinda, committing and witnessing and having perpetrated against him. He basically kind of denies Fabian Cortez's claim of <laughs> murder while regrettable mm -hmm. should be okay. Yeah. He says, I've listened to how you have suffered at human hands to your reasons do me one favor cortez look me in the eye and tell me they are greater than mine mm. <laughs> yeah and, oh man like 
Great Magneto scene. Great peeper scene. It is very powerful, but then I also feel like how many times do you get to play that card? Like, how many times do do you... If is, you survive the Holocaust as many goddamn times as you want. <laughs> I mean, arguably he didn't survive because he has died and been brought back. Well, but he survived the um, Holocaust. He just sure, didn't like, survive other things. But is but like <laughs> so you never get to have but like what is one other one person suffering if we're always going to compare it to his? That's a good point. Yeah. Like that's not yeah. fair to the other person. You raise a really good point. That's very, very true. I mean, it's it's it is an extreme version of don't complain about your food. There are children st- starving in Africa, uh-huh. and it's just like okay, but like that doesn't change what I'm going through. Yeah, <laughs> and so like it, I, I feel like that is that is a troublesome card to play in a council meeting. You raise a good point. When if. Because then it's basically if Magneto doesn't agree, mm. then it's not going to pass. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's not that's not a council. Very true. A few little Easter eggs, tidbits to close out this issue. One, somebody says, you know, good job teaching an upstart his lesson. <laughs> Fabian Cortez was a member of the upstarts team. Or not team, but competition group that were conspiring to commit high-profile murders for points for some horribly explained dangling plot thread reason in the 90s, because it was the 90s and all plot threads dangled. It it was dumb, but killing Magneto was his thing that got him, you know, all his points, basically. Mm. And then on their way out of the council, Charles and Amelia vote have a brief, a brief flirtation. Yeah, that was random. Well, I didn't know that they had a history. Oh, was, yeah, yeah. I was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, they dated, you know, before he started the X-Men, before the conflict between Xavier and Magneto really blossomed. And she was his caretaker after he lost the use of his legs in Korea. and. You know, they fell in love, and then once the whole mutant thing, you know, he kind of, like, confronted her, like, hey, you're a mutant, you should be part of this. And she's like, I don't want any part of this, I just want to live my life. But eventually, under kind of mysterious circumstances, found her way into the Acolytes. So there's unresolved romantic tension between the two. That goes back a long, long way. The last thing is that we have sort of a stinger pan. Well, okay, two last things. One, we've got just a, a very brief appearance of Slav and Forearm as, you know, security as muscle for Sword. Just more very deep, deep cuts. <laughs> but, you know, members of this large mutant community that get some, you know, get some panel time, get, get some usage somewhere in. It's it's cool to see that. You know who I okay okay okay. <laughs> you know who I want to see back mm. resurrected and used is Sunder. Sunder was one of the Morlocks, one of the best uh, Callisto's best friends, and he ended up in Mirror Island after the mutant massacre as one of the few survivors of the Morlocks and died during the Mirror Island saga, which is the kind of the storyline which brought the original five back to the X-Men and shuffled the roster, remade the X-Factor team to be the government team with Havoc and Polaris and all them. Okay. 
but he joined as sort of this de facto X-Men team with Polaris and Multiple Man and, you know, a few other randoms, Day Tripper, aka Amanda Sefton. There's the whole storyline with Legion and Shadow King, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, he he, you know, he had a brief hero turn and was killed quickly. And he's got connections with Callisto, who's got connections with lots of other characters. <laughs> he would be a fun deep cut to bring back. Mm. There's a good conversation, mm. I think, or at least a good question mm-hmm. brought up between Magneto and Brand mm-hmm. here at the end of the issue. Magneto's reflecting, especially from this whole Cortez conversation, but he's reflecting on the law, kill no human. Yeah. And now that sword exists as an extension of Krakoa, is that too small? Right, because now we have all a space program. We've got... Is al- and we know plenty of aliens. Yeah. Is, does the law, should the law apply to non-humans as well? Like, don't snuff out life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't kill sentience. Yeah. Don't kill un, you know, revivable sentience. Yeah. yeah. Great question. And then we get a end of issue reveal that this um this little crystal thing that they spent all of issue one, mm-hmm. you know, combining all their powers to to get their first one of, they've just got like warehouses full, just like giant swimming pools full of this thing. Mm-hmm. We don't know what, we don't know why, but, but we'll it's, find out in issue six. We sure will. <laughs> X Factor. X Factor. We get two issues of X Factor, booking bookending the end of Reign Nine and the start of Reign Ten. Maybe more than two issues. We get several issues. Yeah, three issues. It starts off with this sort of mystery around uh, Prodigy's death. It was kind of, they they all made assumptions that he died in something I guess you probably read, something related to Disassembled or Age of X-Men or something. Oh, I think he died in the 198, and I don't have the 198, because he, he talked about the um, the bus. So in the 198, it was a- uh, He didn't, because he, he stayed alive quite a long time after that. Like, Cause his, it, yeah, because he was- he was was de- he depowered he was in depowered. Young Avengers? He was deep no yeah, he was depowered while he was with Young Avengers, but he still had all of the knowledge that he'd right. gathered up to that point. And so he was still useful, you know. But yeah, Young Avengers happened quite a while after M Day and all of that. Yeah. So, so the I got ganked during the same one attack Xavier Institute that wiped out a bunch of other kids. Maybe that would have been messiah complex well no i think it was significantly after that like i think it was in the time that i wasn't reading because i i read something like that later they say of like loa died wolfsbane died like one there something like not long before krakoa hmm well yeah, maybe. Unless either I missed it or it wasn't. I didn't care about Prodigy, so he died, and that was that. I don't know. I'll look it up. While well, we I, I think the thing is that they're they're missing the time that he actually did die. Right. They don't know for sure, and this happened before X Factor was formed, so there was no you know independent verification, uh-huh. and so his boyfriend Tommy, aka Speed, has like 
corroborating evidence of the two of them making out after he believes he died and he has no memory of it. So yeah, it's, it's an open question. They don't know for sure. Next, we, we get some more relationship development for this ongoing romance between Jean-Marie and Daken. And we get some clarification, allegedly, of how Daken's powers work. They kind of get to know, you know, she, she has this whole thing like, so you're just going around feeling and smelling and sensing every emotion, <laughs> but you can't see why people feel that way. Yeah, that yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. I really like that conversation. And and he also she's afraid of being manipulated by him because she has a long history of not being in control of herself. But there's, you know, this tension between them. She also has a long history of like sometimes being a nun and being treated as or alternating between, you know, hypersexualized and being literally a nun (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and of course north star her brother jean paul trying to sort of like protect manage be in charge etc of of her make sure she's not being mistreated and so she is very much wary of daken manipulating you know her emotions her lust trying to manipulate her into feeling a certain way about her or her feeling a certain way about him. And he says, like, my powers don't work that way. I don't create, you know, emotions. I can only alter what's already there. Adjust right. the levels. Highlight or or or, or uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or bring down, yeah. Whatever the diminish. highlight. Yeah, yeah. diminish. <laughs> and so this revelation kind of brings them together. And she says, kiss me. And he says, no, but you know, soon enough, I'll be begging for it. And that was an interesting, you know, uh, sort of development in this, this ongoing slow burn romance tension between the two, which is really well executed. I really like it. Cause Me too. Daken before this has just gone with every single flow, especially the physical ones. <sighs> Create a situation where I get to get off, which is great. But then also, like, he used to tease Bullseye on Dark Avengers Mm. all the time, making him, like, hone in on the, like, random, like, sexual thought Mm. and then just amplifying it. And so making Bullseye feel really really awkward. Wow. And just, like, he would just come on to him consistently (laughs) in every single, like, back lounge scene. Yeah. And, like, and that was how... Duckhand just had a good time, was just making people feel sexually uncomfortable in in their own clothes because he thinks he's a straight man and he's feeling attracted towards Duckhand, yeah. what is happening. Yeah. And and that has been his like interpersonal character right. trait. Yeah. Is he's the one that makes you feel sexually strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he actually talks about it later in the issue of like, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do something new and be a better person. Yeah. (laughs) And I like it because I really like Duckin. And I I feel like there's so much potential in this character. And Leah Williams in X Factor is finally pulling it out. Yeah. And the more time they spend with him, the more likely he will stick around in future titles and have more history dealt with him. Because 
He's generally, he's always been the antagonist or a druggy protagonist. Right. He's very rarely had the opportunity to really just be an actual character. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this development. And then there's a scene between him and Jean-Paul where, you know, Jean-Paul kind of starts off doing his, you know, protector of his sister approach. And, you know, they kind of actually, you know, like... Stay away from her. Don't break her heart. But, you know, I, I can actually, like, I'm, I'm not going to intervene because I don't think we actually need this talk. Like, I'm growing to trust each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Doc Han is being sent out on this mission on behalf of X-Factor to tail Siren. Now, Siren, as we have established or, you know, watched in, in previous issues of X-Factor, she is dying repeatedly mysteriously at an alarming rate over and over and over again and it turns out that she is still being possessed by the morgan which is leftover plot line from peter david's x factor from years and years ago real world years ago and she used her hypnotic suggestion powers on polaris to basically sabotage this x factor team from figuring from their investigation trying to figure out why she keeps dying what's going on uh-huh, uh-huh. and discovering you know the morgan's presence in there but to do this she has to lie a lot and she has to lie a lot in a, a in a team which is full of lie detectors <laughs> as has been previously established right yeah like rachel so cool. rachel summers psychically Dakan smells it. Dakan da smells it, and Eye Boy can see it. I think there's one more too, but anyway, yeah. The well, Pro- Prodigy copies and verifies. Yeah, yeah. So all of this is, you know, she's trying to keep this going, and it doesn't last particularly long. And so Eye Boy sees straight through her lie, realizes that something's going on. There's also <laughs> this fantastic scene between Jean-Paul and Tommy, a.k.a. Speed, Prodigy's boyfriend, where they talk uh, essentially about being gay and fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, so if anyone doesn't know who Speed is, if you guys watched WandaVision yes. or know the comics, you'll know that Scarlet Witch borrowed souls <laughs> either from the ether slash multiverse apparently maybe or from the comics borrowed them from uh the devil a devil mm-hmm. and put them into bodies of twin boys to have children which she would not normally be able to do with her android husband yeah so in wandavision they developed One developed magical powers and one developed speed powers, much like Wanda and Quicksilver. And in the comics, those souls, after she stole them and they got put back into where they're supposed to be, they ended up in these two kids who ended up being Wiccan and Speed. And members of the Young Avengers. Members of the Young Avengers, and they realized that they are the souls that were born under, like, born to Scarlet Witch. And so so Scarlet Witch is their spiritual mother, mm-hmm. basically. So Speed is basically Kid Quicksilver. Yes. 
and so there's this, you know, <laughs> you know, they're they're just like running through the Boneyard X Factors headquarters, and <laughs> Jean Paul's like, "Hello, young person." <laughs> and Speed's like, "Hi, fellow speedster. Who are you? Why are you?" Blah 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 blah. And so Speed's like, "Hey, hey, we should race. What's your top velocity? I'm 761 miles per hour." <laughs> Jean Paul's like, "189,299 miles per second." <laughs> And, you know, like, oh, and you can fly. How does gravity work on you? Just all of these really cool questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I could go faster, but speed of light, I would explode. (laughs) You know, like, the the air resistance would create, you know, uh, an anomaly of physics that would basically destroy me, et cetera, et cetera. And, And so speed is just, like, absolutely geeking out on on jean paul it's a hilarious scene (laughs) just they're both gay they're both fast (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah he's like didn't you used to also be an olympic skier he's like olympic speedster skier olympic speedster skier going downhill on snow (laughs) he's like i'm also rich and gay in case you care (laughs) yeah (laughs) you seem to be keeping score (laughs) downhill on some fucking snow (laughs) hilarious it's great yes Again, X Factor just throwing in these char- these conversations with characters who aren't even part a core part of the book, like that earlier conversation between Emma and Storm. And, oh yeah, and it's just this. Leah Williams really seems to have a strong grasp on these characters, right? And I just think she's having fun. Loves using them, and I love reading it. Yeah, because like honestly, there's I feel like. Characters in X Factor talk more than in other titles, mm. but it's so much fun. Yeah, the dialogue is really, really well done. Like, there's a lot of speech bubbles, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's fine. It's done well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's compelling dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then we get sort of the payoff on Dakin's mission, and the Morrigan within Siren has him impale himself in the middle of nowhere on a on a post and leaves him there but he's continuously regenerating so he's just stuck in in the snowscape out in the middle of nowhere and aurora comes and or or is that no that's that's jean paul -Paul. yeah comes and rescues him and it's just it's just a hell of an ending it's it's so bleak and so and then he's recovering in the boneyard in a hot springs or in a hot tub and Aurora comes and basically, uh, you know, tends to him and they finally have their kiss. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, it, he's still recovering from his wounds, so they don't go very far. And then Jean-Paul starts yelling for her and, you know, they kind of like talk through and it's like he he has this strong need to feel that the people who he cares about are okay. And this is a trauma response and I'm going, you know, because I love him, I will, you know, help him continue to feel okay in the ways that he needs. And it's just like, wow. Like again, (laughs) these just like these, these deft use of characters and, and insights into them. I just, I'm, I'm I'm all the way here for it. Mm -hmm. Just so good. When you get a chance, ask him about his experiences in Nate Gray's false utopia. Mm-hmm. Nate Gray's false utopia is what happened is age of X-Men. Yeah. Okay. Is, uh, I figured, uh, uh Avenger, uh, Avenger X-Men disassembled. 
was that one, as opposed to the reality created by Legion. <laughs> Which was Age of X. Age of X. Which is also different from Age of Apocalypse. So many ages. <laughs> Age of X was created by Legion. Age uh, of M was created. <laughs> no, wait, that was House of X. <laughs> God damn it. So um, many letters. But like that was also another like reality, pocket reality, where mutants could be happy in a mm-hmm. on on Earth. Created by another reality warper. So I, I initially thought of Age of X, not right. Age of X-Man. That was more for me than for you guys. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you for indulging yourself. And then there's this crazy cliffhanger ending. Later that night, there's this creepy scene where, like, Prodigy, iBoy, and Doc Ken are hiding from something. And they're like, everyone else is dead. Rachel, Polaris were the last ones. And then you see Aurora and Northstar in this sort of, like, blood ritual magic circle ritually sacrificed with flowers in their hair and you're like what the hell is going on to be continued mm-hmm. thankfully we to wait a month for i this. know thankfully it was continued at the very beginning of rain 10 so we get to continue it right now as we talk about it for two issues i have God, to say, cover a lot i have to say the tone of this incredibly creepy doing an amazing job just establishing this very creepy tone Uh as they kind of go through and trace their steps back from the evening to uh, through the evening to whatever happened with the sacrifice, the hiding in front of the TV, etc. One of the big takeaways throughout this is I boys eyes are getting more versatile and more powerful. Yes. He's able to see things that psychics can't see. Mm hmm. He has like x-ray eyes. He's got eyes that can see magic, residual magic in the world. In this one, he's seeing a bunch of like vines crawling up through the boneyard, which is their home base, that Rachel doesn't even seem to notice. And um, it is, uh, it's being noticed by Northstar, by Jean-Paul. He's like, he, his, his, his eye powers are mm-hmm. working at higher levels than I was told they would. <laughs> yes. Do I take that to the council? And then he says, no. <laughs> well, nah, I'm He's going to keep this for himself. And it's, it's an interesting development. Why? Well, we'll have to find out. Mm-hmm. I think he has a healthy distrust of the council. Ed, Ed is healthy. And so, yeah, uh, we see sort of the Morgan take over the Boneyard, their headquarters, I had to do some go and remind myself of some hiragana. Uh, oh, did you read these? I not. I mean, most of these are just sound effects, right? Like doki 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 doki. Yeah, it's basically scratch, right? But shikari nasai. Yeah, shikari nasai. This is just get a hold of yourself. Yep. And so, yeah, we we get more and more like visual representations of what the world looks like to Eye Boy. All of these like little slivers of of magical sight popping up in his panels and he's freaking out. Yeah. So he's freaking out and his fear wakes Duckhen up it's in the so, middle of the night. Yeah. It's hilarious. Like it just, uh, I love, I love this team. Yeah, I really like too. this team so much. <laughs> My boy's hiding under a blanket and Duckhen comes in and <laughs> removes the blanket. And he says, shut your fear. The fuck up <laughs> do you even know how loud you are to me right now i was asleep and you woke me up your fear is is so loud that it reeks 
and it gave me a bad dream. <laughs> but nope, it wasn't the fear that gave him a bad dream. It was the Morgan putting some terrifying vibes throughout the place. So yeah, it completely takes over the boneyard and kills, you know, a bunch of people, resurrections, and they have to come up with a plan to basically infiltrate and root her out. It it leads to a really, really cool infiltration scene, you know, with all the more powerful members like having their their particular roles uh, of how to deal with aspects of the Morgan and aspects of the boneyard and like having specific duties. I also really appreciated the way that they treated the less powerful members like iBoy and Prodigy who don't really have battle applications but are a very important part of the team, mm-hmm. which is just like don't <laughs> like don't be a part of this. <laughs> and I I think that's a really like it's annoying it's avoiding the 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 cipher trap from you know 80s new mutants mm. where they killed them off because they couldn't they had to keep coming up with increasingly convoluted ways to, to involve him yeah. in in the battle sequences which are always like the center of the issues which is like no we can have this character be an important part of the team without having to be part of every fight i think it's a sign of good writing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i just yeah i i definitely it was fun it's 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 the writing is just good. Yeah. <laughs> Random aside, it makes me realize how, uh, just with all the resurrections, how much nudity. I mean, they don't show, like, you know, genitals or anything uh-huh. on panel, but just, like, people are becoming accustomed to just a lot of nudity in their vicinity with all this resurrection happening. And it's not something that you see in comics a lot. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, yeah, there's, if you're in the hatchery, Mm-hmm. You're gonna see everybody's junk body parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I, I wonder if there's like, no one's ever been given the heads up on panel, right? And like, because oh. every resurrection, they they want to have one of their close friends there. Yeah. To like ease them back to life. <laughs> I wonder how that is for like Proteus, who mm. you know died as like a young mutant. And was brought, you know, like, what, what is this like for you? You haven't had this, like, these intimacy experiences. Right. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And now he's part of the five. He's just surrounded <laughs> by nakeds. Mm-hmm. While we are talking about X Factor and yeah. Prodigy, I did look it up. And Prodigy died in on Krakoa at some point. They don't say when. No. Well, that's what I was saying. I think right, but like it's not even part of my reading. It hasn't happened. No, on that screen that, ever. That's exactly what we're talking about, though. We don't. Yeah. Like that's the mystery is that he thinks he died in this event that I'm talking about, mm. which is not part of my reading, but I think is part of yours. It's the same time when Wolfsbane and Loa died. I remember that being like a part of a dialogue balloon. So. Mm. Yeah, oh, and then issue, so issue eight was the, um, basically the conclusion in getting rid of the Morgan and freeing Siren, and Siren becomes a member of X-Factor, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then issue nine is basically... Well, as as part of the resolution for this, uh, and freeing her, the Morgan gives them a riddle. Oh, right. Which is like, let's find the riddle, because it's worth saying the full thing. Word for word. So the riddle is, 
The father to his father, a warrior who is no killer, a traveler who goes nowhere, a secret keeper who shares everything, bring all impossibility to battle, to battle and win, and only then will the Morgan admit defeat. And <laughs> you have the exact same. This cracked you up in the airport. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, re- I read this in the airport on the way here to New York. And I read A Father to His Father. And I w- it got said that. And then Jean-Paul repeated it. And I was like, oh, Shatterstar. And then the next speech bubble was Prodigy going, oh, Shatterstar. It's Shatterstar. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Actually laughed out loud on that one. <laughs> So yeah, Shatterstar is the son of Longshot and Dazzler. Longshot was cloned from Shatterstar in some weird-ass, timey-wimey bullshit. And Shatterstar, of course, we have previously established, is in the Mojoverse live-streaming under a, a death threat contract, essentially, and is kind of stuck there. So now they have their full infiltration team to go and retrieve Shatterstar so that they can help, uh, so that they can break the Morgan's curse or break her riddle or whatever. And so they pull together basically an entertainment team to distract all of the Mojoverse with a fucking kick-ass song. And it's Mark Shepard, a.k.a. DJ on bass, which there is a deep cut. He was he was on drums. Oh, sorry, on drums. He was one of the the mutant kids who was killed in the attack on the bus after M-Day. Or depowered mutant kids, I should say. And then Lila Cheney is playing guitar. Sophia, wind dancer, is the manager of the band because I guess she's familiar with Mojoverse, the whole live stream disaster. She killed herself on stream. Yep. Surge is the the ringer i don't know what that means she, oh she she cuts the power she cuts the power and then dazzler is the lead vocal for this i don't think dazzler knows that shatterstar is her kid no she it was specifically said not to give to wipe that memory from her mm. but I mean, she never got that memory back yeah who knows why <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so they they, yeah, it's a three-piece band. Yep, they put together this this giant show to steal all of the attention uh, on Mojoverse, so that they can go ahead and get Shatterstar, you know, exfiltrate him without any eyes on them. And magic <laughs> is part of it, also, just because because this title brings in all sorts of characters who aren't part of it but are part of Krakoa because Leah Williams can't help herself just has too much fun with X-Men and <laughs> Danny and Shan are there too just like yeah it's great yeah and they go in they they get him out it makes me know I, I kind of know like between Siren and Polaris and Shatterstar and like Shatterstar's return h- hits Richter as he's in the middle of, you know, doing his lighthouse magic in the Excalibur title. And he's like, something's happening to Earth, to me, to Krakoa, of course, as they purge, you know, the Morgan's curse. And, you know, Shatterstar and Richter have an intense and complicated romantic history. So maybe that'll come up later. But again, just another peter david x factor plot hook that gets a nod here even though plot wise these have nothing to do with one another they just share a title (laughs) but leah williams seems like somebody who just loves 
X-Men characters and we'll absolutely go there to, to be able to include them. And so Shatterstar goes through the whole process of, of attack, you know, fighting the Morgan and we see what is going on between the Morgan and Siren. The Morgan is basically pissed off because she is the goddess of death and mutants have abolished death on Krakoa. And so she is demanding that Siren basically kill herself over and over and over again, thousands of times in order to give her the death that she desired. You know, I think it's uh, 1000 deaths. Yeah. And then we get this cool series of like runic pages of, you know, like Celtic cave art of the Morrigan kind of explaining her, her role within the world. Sweet, just random art that doesn't fit in with the visual style of the rest of the book, but fits narratively. I'm into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it succeeds. They defeat the Morgan and Siren is freed and they have a moment together. And then something weird comes out and starts just this red sort of line hits Shatterstar and is kind of connecting him to Richter and going throughout all of the sort of like romantic history of them together. And he kind of has this moment where he says, Julio, my love. And we don't know what, but the final freaking <laughs> caption of the issue says, find out next time in the final concluding issue of X factor at the hellfire gala. How dare they cancel this series. It's so good. So angry. Yeah. Ten issues of X Factor. That's all we get. Unfair. It doesn't make so. So, yeah. So, conceptually, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because, like, how... The, the point of X Factor is that they investigate the the validity of a mutant death. So they can be entered into the queue for the re- resurrection mutants aren't going to stop dying presumably (laughs) the team will continue they just won't have a comic series focused on them maybe i would assume which is okay it's just such a waste of just good talent it's a good series yeah uh, okay so these next three issues i think should be pretty fast yeah x corp is next so it's brand new series so we should at least talk about you know the conceit of it in addition to, I guess, the Hellfire Trading Company, which is the focus of Marauders, Krakoa decides that they want a more like upfront PR-focused representation in the business community, and so the suits, the suits, exactly. Whereas, you know, Hellfire Trading Company is more black market, although they do a lot of upfront stuff too. But it's more focused directly on you know, the distribution of the pharmaceuticals. And this is kind of like managing X corporation slash Xavier's trust fund assets to, you know, the, the public benefit of mutant kind. And so we're kind of introduced to it through this big infomercial, you know, that kind of establishes angel Warren Worthington and, and penance, AKA M AKA Monet St. Croix, St. Croix. And they cut this commercial and, you know, have these smiley faces. And then we start to kind of see behind the veneer. And honestly, so the, the plot of the issue is them kind of pulling their team together, right? Trinary, Madrox, etc. Who, who's the, the last one again? That's, that's it. It's just the four of them? 
Yeah, I mean, so Wind Dancer is their director for their infomercial. Yeah. But those are the only ones listed in the roster. Mm. Um, Seems odd to have a... a, So they're they're recruiting the two of them. I guess Madrox is can be any number of people, but <laughs> recruiting Trinary and, and Madrox to be on the board of X Corp. And then they have their first confrontation with sort of like a um, shady business dealer in the human world who is trying to sort of entrap them in a bad PR situation. And for some reason, their floating island headquarters flies in and saves the day in a plot that neither of us could parse particularly well yeah so the big reveal of this giant flying island so imagine imagine a helicarrier (laughs) but instead of an aircraft carrier on top it's like futuristic buildings and a couple mountains yeah yeah basically so as far as far as like aesthetics like what it looks like and that is a big enough PR distraction that it overshadows the potentially damning story that was going to happen with this shady businessman that they were trying to get make a business deal with. Didn't make a whole lot of sense, but the because rev- main point being the reveal of this flying island like got the tech the tech community and futures community interested in what X Corp has to offer because they have a flying island and so they want to invest in X Corp. Yeah. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Anyway. It's what it is. The uh, the, the the issue served more to, you know, recruit out the the board. So I was I w- first of all, I want you to tell me about Trinary because she is a character who was introduced fairly recently in one of the gaps of my reading, uh-huh. one of the few moons that I just haven't read anything from. Yeah. So I don't know her real name, but Trinary. <laughs> her- How much you want to bet she doesn't have one? Oh, she does. Okay. She was introduced in X-Men Red in uh, Jean Grey's X-Men. That she was putting together. Mm -hmm. And she has the mutant ability to talk to like electric, uh, like internet networks. And she's from India. She is from India and she's a cyber activist terrorist, (laughs) depending on who you talk to. Okay. And so she. I can fucks with that. Yeah. So she got introduced being in deep water because she was like outing some corrupt government official type stuff. Jean's ex team show up and they save her and then they recruit her and Jean is like this is how I want to she psychically tells her this is how I plan to save the world and I could use your help and Trinary says I'm in okay and oh this was the 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 thing that you were all upset about where Jean Grey has this like 14 point plan to save the world and we never get to see it actually or and and because we never get to see it happen we also never get to grill her on the validity of it being an actual plan yeah yeah, that's X-Men, a bummer. Yeah, X-Men Red went for two volumes, and Trinary was the first non-already existing X-Men recruit in the first volume. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she like she gets real excited at fighting the machine or fighting the man, and she's, she's young and she is energetic. <laughs> so the rest of the, the, the main characters here... Compared to previous depictions, I felt like their characterizations were rather flat. 
I agree, especially Madrox. Yeah. Um, so in Peter David's X Factor, we get introduced to the concept of every dupe that Madrox creates. So Madrox is multiple man, by the way. <laughs> if he ever receives impact, a, a copy of him gets created. And that's how he becomes, that's how he's multiple man. That's his mutant power. So in the X Factor, where he is the head of X Factor, we introduce to the concept that each dupe that gets created has kind of a different personality. A different aspect of Jim Madrox is prevalent, more prevalent in a dupe than it is his original self. Some of that is used in here. He's like, sort of. I, I have to like manage my dupes and not create too many because I don't want like the more rogue ones going in and messing up the you know this laboratory that I'm operating by myself. Right. And so we get introduced to Madrox here as he's running a giant science lab, and they're all doing different experiments and stuff, and they're all portrayed as kind of. Not mindless because they're sci- they're doing science experiments, but like monotonous drones mm. for doing Madrox Prime's bidding. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of because like it, there there's always the conflict with the other with the other dupes of like I don't feel like doing this. Yeah, I don't want to do this. Right, this is not for me. There's also <laughs> just the fact factor of like Jamie was the main character of Peter David's X Factor run, which ran for over a hundred issues <laughs> and he, you know, he got a lot of depth of character and, you know, just like you, you follow one of the main sort of conceits of it is that he has led, he's had all of these dupes go off and lead different lives so that he can basically n- never have to make decisions about what kind of life he wants to live himself. And so, you know, he's like, spend a lifetime like meditating or like studying martial arts or becoming a priest or becoming a cop. And, and then he can absorb all of these dupes back into himself to get like the knowledge and the experience of all of these different lives. And so over the course of, of, you know, those hundred issues, he, you know, has all of these like character defining moments and traits and stuff. And then it's just kind of all flattened out to this guy who there are a lot of, uh, (laughs) and, and his hijinks can sometimes be kind of wacky. It's like, whatever, but also like angel. I don't know. I feel like there was in like three pages of the empire tie in. He had more depth with like that conversation with, with 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 Xavier. Xavier. Yeah, Yeah. Where he's like, we need good people. Like, you know, we have a shortage of good people on Krakoa, and that's where you're most most useful and like most needed. And so, presumably, that's this is the 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 mission that they were talking about, right? So, I guess I will say this is only the first issue. Yeah, we've got a lot of time, and I think this that happens with a lot of first issues. That's a good point. Yeah, it's just we'll have real, to see where this real goes. lackluster, almost disappointing because we don't know what's going on. We yeah, we have to do like proof of concept before we actually start any like broader plots. Yeah, and and this very much was like a, a self-contained issue. It was building the team. It was not really starting any story arcs here. So we'll have to reserve judgment. It. Again, all of that we can really go on is is tone and feel and concept. The concept to me is cool. The tone, I don't know. The art was a little off-putting too. Yeah, it, yeah, that's true. 
I did get there. There was some indistinctive art, yeah. I think, because like there. So Warren Worthington Angel has feather wings. He can also turn into Archangel, which is the blue skin and metal wings. Again, this is I. I feel like that was just cipher syndrome once again like oh yeah we have a bunch of characters who can fly we need to give him some sort of like powerful yeah you know to 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 let him hold his own and it's it's like it it kind of like flattens out so much of his arc of dealing uh, within himself dealing with the archangel persona and and all of the strides that he's made previously, just like all of a sudden, it's like, oh no, he can do both now. He he switches back and forth. It's a rage thing. All of a sudden, every character's the Hulk. Like, right. So like now, pen, yeah, pen, so, yeah. Like Monet, same thing. She can turn into the penance persona, and both of them, it's it's like, oh, it happens when they get angry. So everybody's the fucking Hulk now. It's like, mm. Mm, whatever. Yeah, and so I was. That's what I was going to say. Is like Archangel is basically the Hulk now, but instead of anger it's more just like thirst for murder (laughs) (laughs) and yeah and so there was a comment of like hey you know you're able to get out of that situation and not turn blue but in that page his wings look kind of metallic as opposed to feathery yeah and i guess that's the artist's fault he just draws his wings to be like really angular and a little more silver mm. than feathery and white mm. literally like later in the page. And so like, I don't, I don't know like if he like, if that was on purpose or yeah, if that was yeah. so basically he's in the middle of a dog fight. His wings do kind of get shot by lasers, but you know, it's, it's just an action scene. And so like, I can't tell if, through this art, I I can't tell if like he just turned his wings into the archangel wings mm-hmm. to protect himself because they're metal, and then was able to turn them back into feather or what? But yeah, yeah, it's yeah, art is meh. Yeah, the colors are just a little washed out too. Like everyone kind it's of kind of pale. Yeah, which I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Next up, next up is Marauders. Marauders. This was a fun issue. I did like this issue. This is Marauders issue number twenty. It starts out with it, so this is this is all it, all these issues are leading up to Hellfire. Game. Yeah, and this seems like a kind of a filler issue, right? Like we we kind of just finished a plot here with the whole Madripoor arc, but we have another issue to fill before we get to Hellfire Gala. So what are we going to do? Mm. And they they nailed it. They just had. All of the characters tell their favorite stories about Storm while betting how many knives she has hidden on her person. Yeah. But so before that is oh, it starts sorry. it starts with this letter from Emma to Kate of just being like, Hey, I told Jumbo Carnation who is, you know, designing all of the designs for everybody's attendance for the uh, Hellfire Gala. But I wanted you to, I wanted to give this to you as well to, I hope you wear it to the gala. And it's this little diamond X. And on top of the diamond X, there is a silver bullet with another diamond inside the bullet. And it, it comes with this letter from Emma just being like, Hey, I just want you to know, you know, how much I appreciate you and how amazing you are. And the silver bullet is a call out to astonishing X-Men when oh, that's right. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> when she phased a bullet through the entire Earth. Yeah. And that was Emma's X-Men team that she specifically invited Kitty to, at the time Kitty, to be on to kind of be her conscience. To be like, hey, if I'm ever out of line, I want you to call me out. And and yeah, just what an illustration of how far these characters have come. Because the that issue, that storyline started with her being like, I was... 14 years old it was my very first day in at the xavier school and you tried to kill me (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, and that run of astonishing x-men had them go off world we got introduced to agent brand who is now the head of sword and also when we got introduced to sword but (laughs) point is there's a giant bullet on the other side of the galaxy that was fired at created to shoot at a very specific time that w- the trajectory would put it literally through earth and when i say giant bullet i mean Planet i mean sized or i mean moon sized yeah the, they thought it was a moon it ended up being the bullet and the mechanism that shot the bullet mm-hmm. and like the bullet is like larger than an island yeah. like in circumference and then Miles and wide, then put yeah. and then put my, uh, a island circumference bullet and make it tall, right? Mm-hmm. So Kitty trying to stop this, what they thought was a spaceship from going, She's she goes into the bullet and gets to the hollow point at the top and re- that's when they realize that it is a bullet. It shoots with her in that hollow point and as it's getting closer and closer to Earth, she realizes what she's got to do and so she phases the bullet through the planet. Incredible through moment. Earth. Such a cool. And then, you know, and other the, other story plots and stuff uh, are going through, and there's yeah. other details about the bullet that don't matter for now. But it basically... That was uh, the climax of the entire run. Emma thanks Kitty in that moment, and then in this letter she says, you know, you're, you're way too polite to bring it up in conversation, but every single person on this planet owes you their life um, <laughs> because of that. And so I wanted to, you know... Put that on a little brooch for you, and I hope you wear it. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. I really liked that. Yeah, um, that was a, that was an awesome moment. Yeah. And then we just have a night on the Marauder, the the current team having a little dinner to each other, with each other. Tomorrow will be the Hellfire Gala, and Storm will be leaving the team. Yep. And so they all sit around. They take bets on how many knives Storm is carrying with her and they all tell their favorite Storm stories. And they're great. <laughs> they're just all awesome. I don't know if I want to go through every single one, but it's it's just worth reading. Like, just to, just, oh, man. Everyone just has, Storm's such a badass. <laughs> yeah, Storm is great. Like, and I think every episode of x that has storm in it we gush about the character that storm is so Mm -hmm. we don't really we're beating a dead horse at this point but Mm -hmm. yeah storm as a character is being done so well Mm -hmm. in this reign of x verse the hickman x age of x you can't really call it age Mm -hmm. of x this i'd say krakoa era time of x yeah and yeah, and so all of the major players of Marauders tell their favorite Storm story. They throw in their bet for how many knives 
Storm has. Storm doesn't even she she puts down enough knives to be more than the largest bet. And it's like, this isn't all of them. She, yeah, she. I won't let you know yeah. all of my. The highest, the highest bet was seven from Kate. Oh, no, ten. Who said ten? Bobby. Oh, okay. Iceman, yeah. But Storm only shows eight. <laughs> and one that is perfectly balanced, as all things should be. All with very different size handles. Like, there's a couple with, like, hand guards that. I don't know how or where they would fit on her uh, <laughs> yeah, costume. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But they're all great. And it it's it just it speaks to most people think of Storm as the weather witch. Right. She flies the- and she controls the weather and that's her thing. And then she has a commanding voice and she's very regal. Yeah, and this, that's the, her thing. The 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 Saturday morning cartoon of her where she is she shouts out all of her attack names like a Dragon Ball character. Wins! Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> blow this villain away, you know, and is is just sort of like, yeah, this regal voice of, of reason. But, you know, she's also the street urchin who grew up on the streets of Cairo and learned to be a thief. And she's also, you know, the weather goddess of Kenya. And she's also the scrappy person who grew into becoming the leader of the X-Men when she didn't even have powers and the the punk who shaved her head into a mohawk and discovered the you know sort of worldly life of just different ways of being and connecting on sort of a street level approach uh-huh. or the wife of a monarch Mm-hmm. You know, she's lived so many lives. Leader she has of the Morlocks. leader of the Morlocks, just so much depth of character. And when, and this issue does such a great job of just pulling from all of it. And everyone has their own story of something different that they admire most about storm. Mm-hmm. The air of storm is bigger than yeah. just her person. Yeah. And yeah. And so next is hellfire gala and this is so okay the way that these books are treating hellfire gala is the exact same way that crossover events happen Mm -hmm. in like big marvel stuff and so you always get that like little caption at the end of the issue of like next this crossover event Mm -hmm. next this crossover event and that's how you know you're like along the same timeline in all your titles and so for the last two three volumes We've gotten next Hellfire Gala. Yep. Next Hellfire Gala. And I'm so ready for Hellfire Gala. <laughs> just give it to me, please. Just put it in my veins. Well, we'll have one more regular volume of rain before, but yes. And then we finish off this podcast with an episode with an issue of Way of X, another brand new title. Uh-huh. Now, I had different expectations of this title from what it was going to be. I knew about it. I knew that it centered around Nightcrawler. We have had Inklings, you know, Nightcrawler kind of said offhand, I think I need to start a mutant religion. Uh And then we've had sort of quotes from Nightcrawler interspersed throughout Hellions. And so I thought that this was going to be a more detached story with the religion established and, you know, kind of digging deep into the practicing of it or the maybe the, you know, proselytizing of it through Krakoa and adoption of it by mutants. And maybe that's what this is going to end up being, but this was a much more personal take on Kurt and sort of like his own crisis and discovering of faith 
a metaphysical discussion about immortality and post mutantdom post death than I was expecting. Yeah, interesting. Do you have anything more to say about sort of like the the title like on a bigger scale or expectations versus general tone before we get into sort of recaps and specific notes? No, I mean, yeah. So I thought that this was going to be Nightcrawler. I I, I kind of honestly pictured this as like Nightcrawler at a desk writing his holy book. Yeah. And like having that be in caption and seeing other scenes across Krakoa, a, a more peaceful book. Yeah. This is not that book. <laughs> yeah, let's just, let's get into it. So first, uh, other thing. It's written by Cy Spurrier, whose work I've really enjoyed on a number of things. And maybe one of the more prominent ones, especially for this title, is his work on X-Men Legacy. Specifically, the the run of X-Men Legacy that focused on Legion. Great story. Yes. So it kind of opens with, what, Nightcrawler, Pixie, DJ, and... Loa. And Loa. And Blink together in this um, sort of like museum of mutant crimes against humanity. Orcus has funded this museum to basically indoctrinate people into, you know, hating mutants and all of the terrible things that mutants have done. So there are statues of like Apocalypse and Omega Red, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Dark Phoenix, Sabretooth, the Mutant Massacre, blah, 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 blah. And and then we get kind of a, a look at if you remember in Sword, in one of our previous Reign of X podcasts, Manifold stole or got a look at an Orcus org- organizational chart where you know we got, we got to see sort of this above ground side where it's research and development, infrastructure slash influence, which is headed up by Henry Geirich, and operations slash offense. And then there are three more sort of pillars of it that are kind of mirrored on the mirror side. And they were all redacted, but we see some of it here. And those pillars are two of them. One of them still redacted, but two of them are culture slash narrative and sociology slash modeling. So we're digging deep into soft power, mm-hmm. which we were just talking about as like, this is a real thing that, Krakoa so far hasn't really a strategy they haven't really engaged with. And here we've got it. Oblique strategies, yes. according to Orcus. And I love it. I'm here for it. I want this is all I want. <laughs> Just the you know, it, as much as I despise the culture war in real life, I, I I'm fascinated by depictions of it in you know, speculative fiction. So here we freaking go. I feel like we have visions of onslaught. Or something really? that kind of looks... It, I don't think it actually is Onslaught, but it kind of looks like... I thought that was Marco. Like, uh, you mean Kane Marco, Juggernaut? Yeah, I thought that was a uh, Nightmare Juggernaut. Thing is, it's a bad dream of Xavier's. Just calls him Betrayer. Yeah, and he he wakes up and he looks at a picture of himself with Gabrielle Holler and David, his son. Gabriel being, yeah, of course, Legion's mom and Israeli diplomat. And he's got also 
a picture of his, I don't know how he got a picture of Zandra. Zandra, his daughter, <laughs> with Lilandra. But yeah. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is either. It's another There's generic an, another picture we can't quite person see. with yeah. a with a brown collar and it's not mastermind. <laughs> right. Because he doesn't have the ugly facial hair. So the other thing that really stood out to me was this this title just through hints and pieces seems to be extremely deeply thought out in terms of slang. All of these teenage mutants are using like extremely, you know, like, oh, this is so totally sapiens or Mm -hmm. like, don't be such a Wanda. Oh, is this your first time dying? Like (laughs) there are so many, like you get this sense and it's perfect for this title specifically, which is talking about mutant culture and religion of slang revealing aspects of mutant culture that that just are indicative of of a certain amount of thoughtfulness as to what culture on Krakoa is like. Yeah, they call Krakoa Croc. (laughs) Because it's just easier. I do that all the time. I call things the first syllable all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's showing that the, at least the teenagers, the young, the younger mutants are like, this is their normal. Yes. This is where they live. This is their day to day. We get it. (laughs) They also have this sort of like, it seems like a creepypasta you know, boogeyman yeah. meme going on. This idea of the patchwork man. Yeah, when you get resurrected, you see the patchwork man. Which I, that's creepy and interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Knowing how it ends, I wonder if it's that same person. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we can just spoil it, right? There's not much plot to go through. It's Legion. Yeah. Which hell yeah, because. Spurrier's run with Legion before yeah. was so good. Yeah. I, I'm really excited to see this. Oh one, man, this pairing again. Okay, so it is yes, it is it is Legion. Legion has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of personalities in his head, and each personality has a different mutant power. <laughs> yeah, and so whichever personality is dominant at the time, that is the power that he physically has. Yes. Also. If you'd watch, if you've watched the TV show on FX Legion, it gives you a good representation to a surface level understanding of Legion. <laughs> but in that one, I think he only had a couple personalities, and in the comics, he legitimately has hundreds. Yeah. Well, it starts out with just a couple, and then it develops yeah. into yeah. hundreds. He currently has hundreds. Yeah. So yeah, Kurt. Nightcrawler ends up, he, he, you know, he's kind of like having a crisis of faith because on this mission in the museum, he's really weirded out by, uh, or terrified more accurately by the wanton attitude of these teenage mutants towards their own death. You know, is like, is it suicidal ideation? Is it just like not caring about, you know, like something like sacred? Are 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 they correct to like doubt the sacredness of their own lives when they're just going to get resurrected? And Pixie, you know, taunts a guy with a shotgun and gets her head blown off, and all the other mutants are like, "That was so awesome," because it's it's meaningless to them and it's meaningful to him. So he has this crisis of faith. He's not quite sure why this, you know, is he just an old fuddy duddy or is this something, a point of cultural intervention that he needs to, to push on a little bit. 
And so he kind of does his spiritual wandering and he runs into Dr. Nemesis, who takes off his hat and has psychedelic mushrooms growing out of the top of his head. (laughs) So much fun. Oh, yeah, there's this guy who is the lost who he runs into along the way as well, who has these like mutant powers that kind of stretch him out in kind of uncomfortable and terrifying ways. Yeah, so after we see Dr. Nemesis with all these fungi growing out of his head where his hair used to be, we get a letter, basically, application from Nemesis to basically do what Forge is doing, but with science instead of technology, Mm -hmm. and just explore all of the potential applications of Krakoan bioscience. And he's he's using it on himself. <laughs> um, there is a, a conversation where Kurt is doubting his faith and and you know talking through it with is this with Magneto or with Doctor Nemesis where he says like does it bother you that you know you is with Magneto it, it is with Magneto where he says like of all of the you know deities and and pantheons and gods that you have that we've come across as adventurers the only one you've never seen is your own god. Which is is a kind of a hilarious barb, but also you had something to say about that. Well, yeah, okay, so so it's a it's a jab at it, like the Christianity, in the yeah. Christian Christianity religion. Uh, God doesn't have like an, a specific representation. Like in Marvel, G- Jesus yeah. is Jesus as God is the Holy Ghost and the Holy Trinity, but. Jesus is a different quote unquote character than God is. And in 616, we do have actual angels from like Christianity, Christian angels. We actually have Mephisto, who was the devil in the Garden of Eden. And he reminisces and fantasizes about both that and his interactions with Cain and Abel all the time. And Lilith was the snake <laughs> in the Garden of Eden. So, like, and this, these are things as recently as referenced in just the last volume of Spider-Man we talked about in in Scarlet Spider a couple years ago. We actually had a visit to like one of the sections of heaven where the where all the archangels are, and angels are responding to prayers. Like, <laughs> like we have representation representation outside of the mutants for the christian religion it's it's interesting that they don't have that yeah in or and also nightcrawler has died and been to heaven right and he <laughs> rejected heaven to come back and be with the x-men so i don't know yeah, he, he's the only, he's one of the few who can like directly refute that point. Yeah, but. and it's totally fine. And it's so one, it it, it fires his faith. Right. And and two, I don't know why he doesn't tell Magneto I was there. Yeah, <laughs> editorial oversight. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, so I have two two more points here before we wrap out the show. One, there's a reference in, in sort of like, you know, in this sort of culture building thing to the sociological concept of the Dunbar novel, or not n- Dunbar number, which is a concept that I find very fascinating. It's basically the, the maximum number of people you can have a personal relationship with, like essentially your like individual give a shit number mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. personal relationships you can have. And beyond a certain point, like it's the, the role of culture and society to give you a shared like connection with people 
with more people than just your number, you need to start developing abstractions because the human, you know, there's this like observable phenomena of you only are able to have a certain number of people you can individually give a shit about. So that was, it's just a concept that I find fun and it's, it's cool to bring it up. Second is they bring up this, this problem, cultural problem within the crucible where we've got, you know, this uh, apocalypse introduced, you know, this ritual of battle to to the death between mutants to basically qualify for resurrection. And he's saying this makes us a more militaristic and warlike society because we're basically replacing natural selection with selection by means of prejudicial resurrection. The more, you know, warlike and bloodthirsty among us will qualify for resurrection ahead of the others. And this is bad culturally for us. And I thought that was uh, another fantastic point. So I'm, I'm really excited in this story philosophically and I'm really excited in the return of Legion and what that means. So this one got me and I I, I can't, I can't see, wait to see where it goes. Yeah. The other thing is Legion, David Holler, last time we saw him, he was having a budding relationship with Blindfold. That's right. Ruth Aldine, I think was the last mm-hmm. name. She is a precog. Yes, precognitive, which so, sees the future, which is against, uh, and she's dead. Yes. And pre, having precognitives in Krakoa is against Moira's wishes against um, Mora's only rule. <laughs> yeah. And so this is a similar to Mystique. This is setting up a conflict yeah. here. And they they remind you of it. They go and visit her grave. Yeah, and and Legion's there metaphysically or something maybe physically we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Cuz it's there's a bunch of lights. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's basically like why hasn't Ruth been brought back? Mm-hmm. What's up with precogs? Yeah. And and like that's the the next big question. So I wonder if way of if way of X is going to be how we address the problem with bringing precogs to Krakoa. We'll see. We'll see. But anyway, this is amazing, and it was kind of up and down. But I am intrigued about where Rain's going. Me too. In the, in the future. Yeah, very excited for sure. Well, it's uh, been a fantastic trip having you here. Got a couple more days to enjoy. Uh huh. Anything you want to say before we send the people on their way? Guys, if you ever go to New York, make sure you come back to this episode so you can check out the uh, tour and do your own Marvel-themed tour around New York. You get to see a lot of it. Sounds great. All right. With that, we're going to put the outro music here. Right there. Nowhere else. And, um, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Cool. Me too. All right. All right.